You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Yes, yes, yes. It is the X-Man Podcast. I'm your host, Doc Coyle. Thank you for checking out the show. That's right, guys. I'm back. Got a bit of a case of the Mondays. And uh, I'm not too proud of it. And that's how it goes sometimes. I had quite a week. Well, before I get into that, I want to thank everyone who checked out the 150th episode with Ryan Martini of Mudvayne. It got a great response. People seem to really be pumped on it. And I just want to thank everyone. It was really fun. Love you, Ryan. You're the man. And uh, no, but I've had I've had quite a week. Just very, very busy. Very, I guess, monumental in many ways. A lot of, I guess you could say, high pressure to some degree. And this is where you find out what you're made of. And I don't know, I thought it was a good week and, you know, in the Bad Wolf Singer search, fun stuff. And I actually sang lead on a song, cover song for the first time ever. I thought it went pretty well. Had a really nice Valentine's Day and kind of weekends around that. But, but today I'm just, I'm just, I'm just out of it. And, you know, it pisses me off. (laughs) You know, because you, you want, you know, sometimes I'm a type of person who, I guess, rides on positive inertia. And when you get off that, it's like, you just get a little annoyed at yourself because you want to be always in that frame of mind. So, you know, I'm just expressing that. I like to be honest with you, with, with, with you guys. And uh, anyway, some of those days, it's like, you just want to, I guess I had Avengers on and all I wanted to do was just sit down, watch Avengers. <laughs> That very, you know, I don't, I don't want to be on social media. I don't want to do it. It's just, I hate it. It's, it's annoying. And I'm sure that I'm not the only one, but I think the best way to deal with that is to just push through it, do some shit, get involved. And that's what, and that's what I'm doing right now. So I don't have much of a, of a monologue, unfortunately, but, uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, I was, here's what what I was going to say, and this will be brief, but I was thinking about, you guys know I'm a big Twitter guy, but kind of in the, the current environment, I've, I've noticed, and th- this isn't anything new, but I've noticed I've been very disconnected from the kind of culture war, hot take 
thing of the the thing that's supposed to piss you off and the, and I use the, the the phrase culture war a lot because these things are designed for you to take a side right you're either these these people over here or you're these people over there and one of the ones that happened recently was this Gina Carano thing the female MMA fighter who was an actress who got fired from the from Disney and for I guess posting some stuff comparing uh, her plight as a right wing person to the Jews in Nazi Germany and what have you. But I find myself being completely disconnected from things like this currently, where I'm just I kind of don't care. <laughs> but it's I but I think it's kind of at the heart of a lot of why we're all pissed off all the time is that we just glom on to these, these things where it's like, they're meant to kind of like, uh, push this button deep at the kind of center of your, your gut, which causes outrage or just who's, who's the enemy. Who's the bad guy. And I think that right now, all that is derived around this idea of people being canceled or, muzzled or fired it's kind of weird because i i think we can we should be able to like understand the totality of it all and not just get on one side right she deserves to be fired she should not have been fired i could probably say actually i don't think she probably should be fired but then again who like I'm, i don't run disney so what do i have to do with like if someone fire someone at Home Depot, do I get to weigh in <laughs> on that? <laughs> and uh, someone, someone was like, no one should get fired for what they say on Twitter. I'm like, I mean, f- for anything they say? <laughs> I mean, if they say all the Negroes should be burned, they should not be fired for that? I don't, I, I don't know. I, I Probably I think there's things <laughs> you could say. Uh, but I think about, you know, people like, Oh, the world's changing and cancel culture, all this. I'm like, yeah, but people just didn't have the ability to say this shit 30 years ago publicly. If you thought something crazy, it was really hard to tell people. And now we're just snitching on ourselves. (laughs) So if you go on Twitter and say something really dumb, you're just snitching on yourself. Like you're saying it in a public format and they are being mad that people are using your words against you. And I just think, I mean, I'm not trying to laugh, but if you're on the right and then you're mad, like a private company fired you for conduct, that's the free market, right? It's not like the government came down and said, get rid of her. It's Disney. They care about profit. That's, that's it. I like how I said at the beginning of this, I'm, I'm, I'm not invested in these. I'm I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is I'm really not, I really don't care, but it's just funny to me, the things that people get mad over. It's like, I'm sure she'll be fine. I'm sure she'll be fine. You know, Disney, call me, all right? <laughs> if somebody, you know, you need someone to hold a laser gun in the background, I'm your boy, all right? Holler at me. I just think that's... Sorry, I just came up with that right now, snitching on yourself. <laughs> and I, I, I've amused myself. See, guys, that's what you do. You turn the record button on. And all of a sudden, you just cheer. I just cheered myself up. 
Oh, all right. See, that's all. Now I'm in a good mood. It, all, it takes, and I, now I can't tell if I'm laughing at someone else's pain. I don't know. My my apologies, but but in anyway, my original point was, I think you should be able to see something from a 360 degree view and see that in the time we're we're in, right, where it's like, okay, if someone does a bad thing, quote unquote, and then there's this. Now there's a, a response from people that are able to affect that person. Like all the all parts of that can be bad, right? It's not like there's one good part and one bad part. It could be everyone's kind of fucking up. Uh, but I can see where everyone's coming. But I think what happens is everyone kind of feels like they're a champion of, of one side. Either I'm for, like let's say someone gets quote unquote canceled like Louis C.K. Well, I'm for women or I'm against uh, sexual predators, right? That's a very strong, righteous position. But then someone else is like, well, I'm against, I'm for freedom of speech and I'm against canceling. And that feels very righteous. Uh, and it might be everyone has a point, but I think it's it's tough for people to really give oppositional viewpoints, like a little credit for having a point. And, and it, it leaves very little room for gray areas. And I think it's mostly gray areas outside of a Bill Cosby or an R. Kelly or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. It's a weird fucking time. All right, guys. For not having much of a monologue, I just did about eight minutes there. So a lot of fun. A lot of fun. For guys got nothing to say, I'm a fucking blabbermouth. Alrighty. This show, this week's episode is brought to you by a sponsor it's the Punk Rock NBA podcast, which is hosted by friend of mine, Finn McKenty. He's been a guest on this show. It was a while ago. I probably should probably should bring him back. And I've been a guest on his show. And it is a show about doing what you love for a living, the business side of being a creator. And the goal of the show is to help you achieve your own goals as a creator or entrepreneur and I reference Finn all the time, more often because of his YouTube show, the Punk Rock NBA, which is awesome. And he goes in the YouTube show, he goes through, you know, the most hated artists and he'll break down, like bring the horizon and why they're successful. It's, it's, it's an awesome thing. And then the podcast version of that is more dealing directly with one guest at a, at a time and kind of breaking down all of their success from more of a business standpoint, marketing standpoint, because that's Finn's background. And he's had guests like Matt Halpern of Periphery, uh, music reviewer Anthony Fontano, Sarah Dietschy, Matt Heafy from Trivium, Big Herc, Hoy of Madball, Tommy Rogers of Between the Buried and Me, and myself, of course. Actually, just had Lil Zan on the show this week, which is, which is a big deal. And the thing that's cool about his show is it's pretty tight. Like he pretty much goes just an hour. So it's very, not like my show, very long winded. <laughs> and then he'll put out these little 10 minute, 15 minute mini episodes, just kind of monologuing on a particular subject, giving his standpoint on a, on a particular thing. And I think that's really great. Um, and the thing that's really cool about his show is that it's not, he's not just talking to music artists. He's really, expanding himself, you know, talk to new people who have clothing brands or other YouTubers or just 
people in a lot of different creative spaces. So I think it really presents something different. And he's just a real professional. <laughs> so I'm a little always, always jealous of his professionalism. And uh, he just keeps doing new things. And it's really, really awesome. Um, so yeah, so just search for the punk rock MBA uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts, of course. And there will also be a link in the show notes. So check it out. Support Finn. He is the man. He also has another YouTube channel, which is just Finn McKenty, which is more based on business and marketing, but you should check that out as well. But anyway, shout out to them. Thank you them for sponsoring the show. We also have a couple bands sponsoring the show today. This will be, be fun. We got a lot going on today. So we're going to play a song from a band called The Nocturnal Affair, and they are from Las Vegas. And this track is entitled Beyond the Wall of Sleep. Check it out. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. I feel like chocolates. Get down! The Wrath of the Buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles. The Wrath of the Buzzard. P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Yes, rock everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you!
The Nocturnal Affair with their track Beyond the Wall of Sleep. I think that track is pretty excellent. I really enjoyed that. I recently became buddies with the singer Brendan, and as you can hear, he has an incredible voice, that deep, that deep man, man voice. I love it. Uh, apparently, he used to sing in a typo negative tribute band, and it's it's no surprise. He's got the, he's got the goods. Uh, <laughs> but... This song is available now. The single is available anywhere where you stream music. And it's also, there's a lyric video on YouTube. And it's, I think this song is part of a new album coming out. I think. I don't, <laughs> but they do have a new album coming out. It's done. It's produced by John Moyer, the bassist from Disturbed, as well as Logan Mater from Once Human and Machine Head. So I'm sure it's going to sound badass that song sounds badass so but i think you know they're waiting for covid stuff to kind of die down but yeah if you want to check them out please go over to their bandcamp page the nocturnal affair.bandcamp.com buy a track support them check out their facebook and uh tell them doc coil center great band great band and we actually have another sponsor this week i told you guys man people People be asking about sponsoring the show, and I'm like, yo, you better get on it because spots be running out. And right now, they're running out. Okay, guys? <laughs> if you want a, if you want a slot, it's going to take you probably three, four weeks to get on the show. So sometimes it goes like that. Sometimes it's easy to get in, and sometimes 
they fly out the door. So we're going to play a band. Where are they from? Charlotte, North Carolina. And this band is called Blackwater Drowning. And this song is called Saint.
So that was Blackwater Drowning with their track Saint. That was a that was a banger. Kick you right in the dick. I enjoyed it personally. Uh, had a you know little Black Dahlia Murder vibe. I was feeling that shit, and believe it or not, female fronted band. So I like to I don't, I like to give it away. I let you enjoy it, and then you're like, oh word, yes right. She's bringing the the gutturals, bringing the high pitch stuff. I was I was vibing with that, but. Uh, yeah, so this band is from Charlotte, North Carolina, like I said. And, you know, they've been grinding in this past year during the pandemic to, you know, as they say, persevered in their endeavors to affect positive change in their community. And as part of that, they did a beer collaboration. And this is really a, a, to for charity with Ass Clown Brewing Company, which I love. Okay. Ass Clown Brewing Company. I hope hope the beer don't take like taste like ass. I doubt it, but uh, resulted in a delightful sour IPA, whose benefits proceed or excuse me, whose proceeds benefit Charlotte, North Carolina area venues as they struggle to stay alive with closed doors. That is awesome. And the band uh, has re- written and recorded an album for release in 2021, which is going to be entitled Sonder. I don't know if it's two. Or if that's like a thing in there with Satori. Saunders Satori, maybe with a two in the middle. <laughs> Such a professional host over here. And uh, you know, they have a you should go over to their website, uh, or to their Facebook, excuse me, Facebook.com backslash Blackwater Drowning. And they have a merch store, Blackwater slash drowning dot It's got all new stuff up there. They're holding it down, and they're have some they have shows booked for later this year at the Metal in the Mountains and Cap Carolina Uprising. I'm not great at reading, guys, as you can tell. I mean, I can read, but just reading out loud, you know, I got work on it. That's all right. We're all a work in progress, and keep your eyes open for new content, new videos, interviews, song playthroughs, maybe even a live stream. Check them out. Support the band. Support all the all the the sponsors of this show, Punk Rock NBA, The Nocturnal Fair, and Blackwater Drowning. Thank you to them for sponsoring the show. It means the world to me. Please support all of them. All right, we do have a guest this week, an incredible guest, uh, Carla Harvey, one of the sync vocalists of The Butcher Babies. And I've been meaning to get Carla on for quite some time. She is one of these individuals that the thing I really love about her is that she kind of, you know, you have an idea. Oh, that's a that girl. She sings in a metal band. And then when you actually get to know her and then learn about her history, you get to see how much more she is than that, how accomplished she is, how ambitious she is, how intelligent. And, uh, and I, like I said, I, I learned that because we, you know, became buddies like behind the scenes, you know, just at metal shows and stuff. And it was, it was cool to get to know her that way, but I learned even so much more having her on the show. And I was really excited. You guys know, I'm always trying to get more female guests on the show. You know, it's a boys club in this, in this metal world, but I I want to hear their voices. I want to hear their perspectives. Uh, and I want it to be a varied experience on, on the show. Uh, but yeah, butcher baby's great band and Carla brings the heat. So I'm going to dispense with the filibustering and just get to the show. So please check out my conversation with the incredible Carla Harvey. 
listen, thank you for taking your time to be on the show. You know, you're someone that I'm sure we've talked about you you being on the show before. Uh, we actually haven't. We haven't? But, uh, well, it's, James, just, it's, it's been in my mind. Amy brought up your name and I was like, that. yeah, that'd be fucking awesome. I never thought to ask you because I'm like, you, he doesn't want me on the show. You never asked. I don't want you on the show. I just, listen, it's like a, it's a tangled web of like figuring, okay, I need this person this time. And I'm like, I'm always you know, scheming up here. So okay. don't, don't, don't mind me. But either way, I really appreciate you, you taking your time to be a guest on yeah, no the X-Men podcast. You know, for me, I being, you know, the, the way you and I kind of bonded was that like, I didn't know that you were biracial like I was. And we kind of had, we had a moment where we just, you know, we had our, you know, we, yeah. black, we white, we play metal. <laughs> Well, you know, it's interesting and there's always this kind of kindred spirit type of thing with people who are mixed. Um, it's just whenever you meet them, you're like, wow, someone else like me. And it may sound silly to the outside world, but um, I think the experience of being biracial is very different than being white or being black. It's yeah. an experience on its own. And so I feel like when you meet someone who, you know, is like you, it's like, wow, they've been through the same stuff that I have. And it's, it's just, it's cool. Yeah. I mean, but it's a, it's a theme in my show because I think the, the genre that we're both involved in is clearly a white male dominated genre. Right. So even me, if, if I don't think about it, sometimes I'll find, oh, I've had eight white dudes in a row on my show. And I have to sometimes go, okay, I need to make sure that I'm just getting a more representative sample and, and hearing different perspectives because it's foundational to me even starting out in the in the music industry. But anyway, enough enough about me. Um, you know, you, you know, looking actually at your career, you're you're kind of like you know, there's like the most interesting man in, in the world that that old commercial yeah. you know, guy. You're like the most interesting woman in the world. All the things you've done, it's kind of insane. I mean, because You've, you're a novelist, but are you like, is the book coming? Is the, the memoir coming as well? I've had a, a book out for for years now. Hopefully the second one is coming. It's just like life gets in the way when you're trying to do so many things. So I've had a book out for years called Death and Other Dances. But and it's, it, a, it's a novel though, right? Is it about your life? It's a memoir. I called oh, it, it when I put it out, I called it creative nonfiction because I didn't want to upset my mom. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but, but everything in it is true. So it's, it's a pretty interesting read. And um, the reason that I, that I wrote it, we had just started touring and I was like, it was at the time when people were still like, who are these, you know, these girls, you know, infiltrating the metal world and what have they done? And, and this girl, oh, she, she's been a nude model. That's crazy. She must be this way or that way. And so I wanted to write about what my experience actually has been so that people would know the truth about me and not just a bunch of, you know, like, like crazy lies, um, you know, stories popping up on the internet. Um, plus, you know, I think that writing, it's something that I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to write a book and, you know, writing about your life, especially the hard stuff. Um, it's a cathartic thing. It's like writing songs as well. And, I initially, when I started writing, I'm like, I can't let anyone else read this. I can't, and I was pouring my heart out. And then it became important for me to release it and have other people who've maybe gone through the same things 
that I've gone through, um, read it and think that, okay, well, life can and will get better and I can make it through this if someone that I respect has also made it through that. Well, I feel remiss that I haven't read the book. This interview, unfortunately, came together very last minute. So apologies for any gaps in your in your biography. No, but I think it's important to to have that that background. And I, you know, me and you have talked a little bit about your about your your, your background. So despite not having uh, read your, your your book, let's talk about a little bit about your kind of early career pre butcher babies i was you know, i was on the imdb scrolling around and you know there's a there's a lot of, one 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 thing you did stuck out it was just like hot girl <laughs> <laughs> i know look at the roles that you go out for you know when i moved to la i moved to la in 1998 i was just a kid and I always knew when I was young that I wanted to move to L.A. to be a rock star and, you know, be an actress. And I was going to go as soon as I could. So what I did after high school was I went to art school. But at night I worked at a bar and I saved up all my money so I could move to L.A. as soon as possible. And then I packed up all my shit in my Ford Probe, drove across the country to L.A., and, you know, I started getting bit parts, um, doing acting jobs. And of course you go out for these, um, they're called five and under roles. Um, what does that mean? They pay well, they're great union jobs, but you go on and you're billed as hot girl number one, or, you know. Um, what does five, what does the term five and under mean? Five, five and under means you've got uh, five lines under. So they pay you gotcha. based on um, whatever, you know, if you're five and under, or, you know, if you have a bigger role or whatever it is. Um, so when I moved to LA, I started doing TV commercials and, um, you know, little walk on roles on TV show, but yes, it's the IMDB. It's funny. And they say like the silliest names, um, for stuff, but I've been in some cool shows. Did you train in acting or singing or anything like that? When I was a kid, I, um, had violin lessons and Italian opera lessons um not that I could sing opera by any means but it was uh you know my grandpa was an Italian opera singer and then my step-grandpa who I really was raised by um was a drummer so they really um you know there was music all around me my uncles were jazz musicians and so I was always in, in some sort of lesson um and I you know sang in this you know school choirs, stuff like that, uh, little different things like that. I was in the school orchestra, um, but, and no, oh, you know what? I did have singing lessons when I first moved to LA because I read in People Magazine when I was a teenager about, I just remembered this just now, <laughs> there's a People Magazine that featured the coach that taught Axl Rose how to sing. Mm. Nice little old lady named Elizabeth Sabine, I think her name was, and she had a studio in North Hollywood. And I remember, I saved up all my money for these lessons from her because she had taught Axl Rose and I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. So when I first moved to LA, I did do that, but um, largely on train, I just had, you know, musical knowledge um, from growing up and playing various instruments. So it just kind of came naturally. I'm not really too trained, but I, you know, when I moved to LA, I was in a bunch of bands trying different things out till I found the one that stuck. Well, I just want to talk a little bit of just about kind of the persona of, I don't know, just being in a, in a sense like monetizing or like having your your identity of being like a quote unquote good looking person as like something that has, that is like something that kind of filters through how you're trying to forge a career, like being a model, 
being an being an actress like how is that something was that something you kind of had self-awareness about when you were younger to be honest I'm very uncomfortable with that because growing up I was not attractive um by any means the way society thinks attractive is supposed to be and I always felt um very awkward I was um you know everyone has a bad phase growing up whether it's your buck teeth frizzy hair chubby I had all of them I had acne there's nothing wrong with any of those things at all, you know, um, but I, I I was afflicted by all of them at the same time. <laughs> um, but also being um, biracial and in, in a place that is very racially divided, I always felt that I wasn't blonde, I wasn't white, um, I was brown skinned brunette, and I always was made to feel as if that was not enough. I wasn't attractive. Um, and uh, it's 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 a shame that I feel that way. And I even have you know diary entries from when I was a kid and about how ugly I was and how I you know my hair was terrible because I had the frizzy curly you know biracial kid hair and it makes me sad that I couldn't see the beauty in who I was. And I really didn't until I had to come into my own skin to, to feel attractive. Um, you know, when I moved to LA, I got a job at Playboy reading the news, and they put a bunch of makeup on me every day and um basically told me I was attractive so I felt attractive then you know but I've never felt comfortable saying that I'm pretty or that I'm anything like that or using that um and I don't like when people think that I use looks to do anything because I feel like the coolest people were not attractive growing up and we honed our other skills whether you know our smarts our conversational skills our art skills whatever it was uh our careers and um then years later by chance we grew into ourselves and became (laughs) more comfortable on our own skin but um definitely the whole uh, being attractive and using it is not something i'm comfortable with or that i think about or that i think that I instinctively do. I am who I am. I look like what I look like, you know? Well, well, the reason why I I bring it up is is I do think there's almost a different kind of burden that I think um, female entertainers have to kind of deal with in in, in terms of like, okay, if, and you've, you've heard about this, right? Like some actress gets cast in a role and it's like, oh, she got, she gained 10 pounds and then the studio like it had to have a meeting and, you know, it's like, it's a, it's a different kind of commodification that I think um, that kind of penetrates the psychology of how you're going to navigate. Because at the end of the day, it's like, how am I going to get roles? How am I going to, um, you know, we, we know, obviously maybe you, you have some insight on this on the whole kind of uh, the Harvey Weinstein type of culture of utilizing uh, money power access to resources as a way to kind of take advantage of that and there is you know there is an imbalance right like just in the way we said the metal industry is kind of white male dominated you know a lot of these uh gatekeepers in hollywood are male dominated and they use that power to kind of get in the way of that you know what i'm saying no i i completely understand that and you know another thing for women is ageism you know women can't get old you know and one day i was in hollywood unless you're meryl streep yeah (laughs) that's one (laughs) and helen mirren and that's it 
you know what I mean? The typically like the it's it's people are so hard. They're hard on everybody when they I hate when I when I see people saying, Oh man, he looks old or this looks old. It's like, man, we're all gonna get old. So get get used to it. Be comfortable with having a few wrinkles, having a few flaws. It's it's perfectly okay. But women, especially like in Hollywood, you see women clinging so hard to their youth because you know, once you look like you're over the age of 25, you're, you're worthless. I hear it even in music. Well, they can't sign someone who's, who's, yeah. you know, in their forties, where are they going to go? And even as a woman, I worry about, well, shit, I'm this age now. And if I release an album this year, will I still be fresh to tour in five years when I'm this age? Oh my, and it's, it's so stupid. You know, men don't have those pressures. Not, by the way, that's, that's, that's not true. When I moved to it's LA, not- so I so you moved to LA when you were young. I moved to LA when I was 34, ha- having already had an entire career with the band. And when you're 34 going on 35 and you're ch- me, I was like free agent, right? I'm like, oh, let me try play with this man, play with this man. It it literally, I did feel very self-conscious about yeah. being in shape or looking young or not, because I because in rock and roll, 35, and you're, you're trying to start new you do feel a little old, like, oh, maybe I won't fit in with some sceney band with cool haircuts or or what 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 have you. So I, I think it does matter. And I've noticed, at least with Bad Wolves, kind of graduating to this uh, group of hard rock, big hard rock bands, the Nickelbacks and the Breaking Benjamins and Papa Roach. It's like, those guys take care of themselves. They understand that part of, and even if they're getting into their 40s and things like that, they do understand looking the part is part of being in in a band like that. So I do think there is an element of that, of like, you know, just being, I think part of being on stage and being a quote unquote rock star is kind of presenting a, a somewhat aspirational image. Oh, I a hundred percent think that because when I was a kid, you know, um, I was really into, the reason I moved to LA was because I saw bands like Guns N' Roses and everything. I loved the music, but their image too. That was like, wow, that's a whole lifestyle. And that's a special about metal. It becomes a lifestyle. So of course, I think it's important to have an image, but I feel like it's okay. It just, it bothers me that you, people feel the pressure to not show age or talk about age. Um, When age just gives you the beauty of having more experiences to write about and the wisdom and to uh, do things a little differently and a little cooler, I think my band is really unique in that all of us had tried different things, been in a bunch of different bands. And when we found each other at our old ages, you know, I didn't start touring with Butcher Baby until I was 35. Wow. Um, And me and Henry are the same age. But you uh, also don't age. Like you're one of these people that just is like encased in like... uh... (laughs) <laughs> well, I did, I did make sign some paperwork years ago with this weird guy I met at a bar, Devil. I'm okay, but um, okay. <laughs> no, John D. I, Devil. Yes, John D. Devil. I, I said, you know, he could have my firstborn and change exchange for <laughs> eternal youth. No, I, and I do feel lucky that I still look young after all these years. But um, I know that I'm older. But that's that melanin. I'm telling you. <laughs> I know it does. It it, it does help. But I, I feel like if I hadn't gone through what I had gone through up until that age, and same for my bandmates, I don't think that we would be in the position that we're in now and have written the things that we've written and done the things that we've done. I think it would be a completely different experience. Um, so 
I don't know, man. I just, like I said, I wish that people didn't have to think about stuff like that. Yeah. And I, I wish we could have like an eternal beauty shell, you know, that we could just kind of like slip in whenever we wanted to. <laughs> listen, I just, I, listen, I, I've repeated this phrase on the show many times, but I'll say it again. Some, some, something, something very wise someone told me, said half the audience hears with their ears, half the audience hears with their eyes. And so it's just, it's just the idea of whether it's the music we're selling or merchandise or tickets that all of that is like the patch packaging, right? Like if Guns N' Roses didn't look cool, you and I wouldn't have been like, whoa, what is that thing? If Slash didn't have his shirt off with the hat playing guitar on a mountain, <laughs> like all that stuff matters and it doesn't make it wrong or bad. It's just, yeah. it's just, it's just part of what, what, what it is. And um, anyway, let's kind of move on from this. So while you were in LA acting, modeling on Playboy TV, doing all this, all this stuff, you said you were playing with different bands at the time. When, yeah. when did you develop your ability to scream and do like extreme type vocals? You know, I was always in bands that were more like punk. Um, I would say that I always wanted to scream and sing um, guttural. That was what I was attracted to. I loved Phil Ensemble's voice growing up. That's what I wanted to sound like. But I didn't experiment with it that much until um, we started Butcher Babies. And I wanted to do it. And then um, I, we worked with Josh Wilbur, who's an incredible producer. I love I'm him. Josh. He really helped me bring out my personality in my screams. And uh, that, that experience for me was incredible. He's like, well, what do you want to sound like? Who are you without anyone else's influence, without your bandmates' influence, without anyone telling you what they want you to sound like? What do you want? Who do you want to be? And I said, well, this is what I want to do. And I came out with it. And he's like, that's you. Why aren't you doing that now? And that gave me... Um, the strength to, to do what I wanted to do and be who I wanted to be vocally. So was there a, a concept of the band before you guys all got together or was it like, how did you and was it you and Heidi were friends and then you decided to put a band together or is it Henry? Who is, who's the mastermind of like, we have this weird idea for a band that we haven't even seen people do. Well, Heidi and I met, um, I answered a MySpace ad, <laughs> that's how long ago it was, for a band that had five girls singing cover songs like punk rock, punk metal um, cover band songs. So I went and auditioned and Heidi was there and, you know, she said she'll never forget the time I, I walked up to the audition. I, I had a purple Corvette at the time. So I drove up in a purple Corvette. Mm. I had these fringe boots and I walked in like, this is my gig. This is my gig. I'm getting it. And um, we had, we just had this energy together. Heidi and I became like instant friends. I knew that instantly that we would either be like mortal enemies or best friends. And there, we had this thing. And when that band kind of was like, we didn't, we wanted to be in our own band, you know, write our own music. We quit that and we formed butcher babies and we had the concept and everything on our own. We wanted to do this. We put out ads for the guys, asked everyone we knew if they knew some guys that wanted to be in a metal band with us. And so it I was just the two of you at the, at the beginning. It was two of us. Yeah. And uh, it was our dream. And, uh, at the time, you know, nobody wants to take us seriously. They're like, these girls don't want to do a real metal band. 
I called Henry because we had been old friends from Playboy. And I said, do you know anyone that plays guitar? Because me and Henry used to always go to metal shows together. And he's like, well, I play guitar. And I'm like, no, you don't, man. <laughs> I mean, a real guitar player. I had no <laughs> idea. He says that I knew that he played guitar, but I swear I don't remember him ever saying he played guitar. But, you know, that's the beauty of life and how people come into your life, you know. When I met Henry, I didn't know that like 10 years later, he'd be joining a band with me. Like it's, I, fate is so weird. But um, so Henry came into the band and then with, uh, you know, everybody came together really organically and it was, it was really magic. And uh, that's how we came to be. Well, the, one of the things that really stands out about um, the first album, well, I guess you guys, well, the, I was listening to Goliath but you had an EP before that, and then you had some other material, but at least with the, with the first album that I'm more familiar with is what sticks out about it is how heavy it is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not, it's, and I remember the, so like we basically, my old band, God forbid, was on Central Media, and then we were done with Central Media in like 2010, and then you guys kind of came on like right after that. So you were kind of this new wave of, of stuff. So I was like a little bit, I'd say like disconnected from what was going yeah. on in, in the streets as it were, but you were this band that was making all this noise because, it, but in a, in a sense, I felt like it was almost like urban legends. It was like, there's this band and they're, they're strippers. And then they like, they play naked. Like you, you just hear stories that you were like, you didn't even know. But the first time I saw you guys was on Mayhem Fest, I think 2013? 2013. 2013, right? And I remember I was, this is when I still lived in New Jersey and I didn't know any of your songs. And I was like watching from like this kind of elevated area. And I just remembered how heavy the songs were and how like grooving and kind of like, they really just, the the vibe of the tunes just really like got the crowd pulsating. And your guys' stage presence was so vicious. It wasn't, um, it wasn't, I mean, don't take this the wrong way, but it didn't seem like you were, you or Heidi were trying to kind of elevate femininity, even though you were very like feminine, like in, in terms of how it was perceived, but it was just, it just seemed like a lot of the things I was hearing about the band or, or the, the way people were characterizing you guys was not accurate. It felt very yeah. true to the scene and kind of what you just wanted out of a sick metal band, you know, the, just the energy. It for what it was, you know, a lot, I, I always hated when people would say, you know, these two sexy girls, we weren't trying to be sexy in the least. Like we really weren't. That's not why we went out there. And, you know, listen, I, I don't try to be sexy, but I just show up like this and it just happens. All right. It's not my fault. <laughs> but, you know, that wasn't our goal with the band was to go out there and strut around <laughs> like it was a catwalk. And that's not how we treated it. And and uh, anyone who really did see a show, I find that people who are the naysayers usually haven't actually seen it in person and have seen it for what it what it was and what it is. You know, some of the stuff like from our early shows before we even toured, I still think is like, whoa, we did that. We dressed like that. We, <laughs> we used to be i mean after one of some of our shows on the sunset strip there would be feathers and fake blood all rolling down sunset strip and um like we were we did some wild stuff we used to have body parts all over the place on stage and it just we and we look back and we're like oh man we were wild but we never went up there like i said with the intention to be 
sexy or, um, you know, model-esque or anything like that. Um, I think we were, we are very anti that. And uh, we just wanted to play metal. And at the time we had been told no by so many people and had been through so much shit that we weren't like angry. We were pissed and we were up there and just letting it all out. That was our safe place to just like leave everything, you know, on the floor. I mean, do you feel some of that resistance, uh, you know, and I, and I don't want to like politicize this in any way because I feel like a lot of this stuff has now taken on that kind of context, but do you feel that was due to sexism, at least with from the industry side or maybe just culturally kind of built into the heavy metal apparatus? I think that um, it is kind of built in that people like are kind of gonna have a kind of, there's some people that love female, female fronted. Um, I don't mind the term female fronted by the way, because I, I just have never seen it as like the pariah that other people think that it is. Um, but there's some people that love it and are drawn to it. And other people who, before they even hear a note, they're like, I don't like female fronted metal. I don't want to hear it. Sorry. Two girls come on the stage. I'm leaving. Um, a lot of, I think a lot of men and this maybe sounds weird, but I think a lot of people are so mad when they didn't follow their own dreams or do something that they wanted to do that if they see someone who's maybe completely different than them, a, a female doing it when they're like, well, man, fuck that. And because they're mad at themselves for not giving something a go in their own life, you know? Um, and that just sucks. But I, you know, we've been treated on tour by every band that we've ever toured with, with such respect. We've never really felt we were different or looked down on or made fun of because we were women on tour by other bands. Um, what about what about habitual line steppers? Have there been people like you know putting a hand on the knee or or like stepping in the, the dressing room trying to catch you guys changing any, any anything crazy like that? You know. Um, a few, but nothing that's really crazy. And honestly, I feel like men get it just as bad as women get it. Oh no, you know? dude, dudes on his thing, dude, dudes on metal tours, hardcore tudes, things get real jail like. You know, it's a lot of ball grabbing and dudes, you know, you know, mooning each other. It gets a little, you know, like okay, we need like it, we, you need some women around to keep these guys honest. I'm just saying, to make sure they wash their ass and you don't yeah. have some deodorant <laughs> me and Heidi are definitely the men in our band oh you do, so you need some deodorant <laughs> yeah we, we we are the ones who shower last the boys like pile into the showers like as soon as we're done off stage I think Jason our old bass player would sometimes be in the shower when we were still on stage um but uh you know me and Heidi are always the ones that are you know the last to to do all that stuff and I think we are the probably yes the smelliest one well i hope they don't because the thing is the reason why we're on tour where you don't want to take the last shower is usually that's where like all the towels are piled up and it's just it just it's just musty in there and there's all hair up in the drain i'm getting disgusted even just talking talking about it so the fact that you go last i just you know you are brave women and uh <laughs> you deserve some kind of medal until after the meet and greets the end of the night stuff so we don't always have time to you know Sometimes we'll jump halfway in and come out, but it's a hard life. <laughs> oh, it is. It, it, it is. And kind of speaking of that, I just kind of want to ask you about, you guys kind of hit the ground running. It seemed like with that, that first album in terms of 
getting some really big tours route with Manson early on. And I, and I mentioned the, uh, the mayhem, what was, how did you feel about getting a, a pretty quick response or what, what was your kind of engagement with, with building a fan base early on? You know, we were the kind of band when we first started even playing shows on the Sunset Strip where we would go flyer everywhere and tell everybody that we were playing a show. And so we and we also took that approach online. Um, we were relentless uh, with our online promotion and we did. The word spread pretty fast. In fact, I remember a friend had a revolver magazine once and they opened it and they called us because there's a little blurb on the, we, and this is before we had played any, you know, real big shows. There was a blurb that said number of times editor in chief has watched the butcher babies cover um, fucking hostile by Pantera. And we were like, they know about us. Oh my gosh, they know about us. So there was like this buzz. And, you know, obviously there was a big buzz because of we were started off as kind of a tribute to Wendy O. Williams. And we had this very specific look, you know, um, nipple tape, covered in blood, et cetera. Um, so that uh, drew a lot of people in. And of course there was a lot of hate in that and a lot of like, oh my God, these girls are so cool. And so um, we had so much attention really, really fast. And we knew that we had to, um, you know, make it have substance to it and make sure that people knew that we weren't joking around. This wasn't um, just like a, a fun little thing we were serious about the music and um i think we really showed that with our first album and it was you know when we when sensory media when we signed with them and they asked us who we wanted to tour with and we said you know bands like marilyn manson rob zombie they were like well slow down you know we'll do some small tours and we got these big tours and it was amazing and all of us were just we were so excited and still today till this day we score a big tour and we're like little kids you know we we've retained that magic of just being just so excited and so grateful that, you know, we, we all tried for years and years and years to do something in the, in the music world. And even though it came late for us, we got it and we, we love it. Well, so that aspect was really working out for you guys, but there's also kind of the dollars and cents of mm -hmm. starting a new band and the business side of it. And you probably know more than a lot of people who are probably the fans that, when you're starting a new band, even though you're getting a big tour, doesn't mean they're paying you that well. Doesn't no. does doesn't mean that you have all these these resources. So, you as someone like I said, you start you were just getting started. You know, in your mid thirties with with this band, how was you know how did you guys kind of organize the the business side of it so that you could just survive? As yeah, I, that was hard. That was the hardest thing. Being older. Um, and, you know, I, I was an embalmer. I had a job. I owned a home. And I was like, well, how can I do this? How can I go on tour and, you know, have the risk of not making any money? So we all had to think of, you know, what we could do. Um, and uh, but luckily, our band, uh, we've always been big merch sellers, which and we made sure when we signed contracts with labels that we got a decent deal so that we could, you know, make money off of our merch and do stuff like that. We were really smart and we had that wisdom because we were older and because we knew we had lives to protect and it wasn't just going to be out going out there for ego or for fun. We had to make, you know, be serious about it. So we've always been um, very uh, aware of 
you know, selling merch and how to make money off merch and that kind of thing. And then, you know, doing meet and greets and doing special meet and greets, like pizza parties where people can come on our bus and hang out with us after and eat pizza and tell jokes and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so we've always been very business savvy when it came to the band and our finances. We had to be. No, that's, that's awesome. You mentioned slightly that you were a embalmer. I was. <laughs> and, and you were, you were an, 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 an embalmer. So this is something you, when did, when did this, cause you went to school for this, right? I did. I went to school for mortuary science and I did that on a break from the entertainment world because after I worked for a playboy, I was, became completely, I fell out of love with uh, doing entertainment for the, for lack of a better word. I, um, I wanted to just be, have a normal life and not be under a microscope all the time. Um, working for Playboy ended up being a really bad experience as far as that, you know? So, um, I went to school for mortuary science and, um, I was an embalmer and a funeral director for years. And then when butcher babies took off, I left that career because it's, it's a nine to five job. Actually, it's a all day job. You can get called in at any time. You don't get weekends or holidays off. So there's absolutely no way they would have let me, um, you know, take some time off to go on a short, you know, two month long tour. <laughs> so, um, now I do grief counseling and I'm also a death doula. Um, so I still get, you know, my fix of, of doing that and helping. What's a, what's a death doula? A death doula, um, there's birth doulas and death doulas and death doulas, are um, people that help you transition um, into death. Um, there's a lot of different things that death doulas do from working on legacy projects with our clients. And that could be just tying up some loose ends in your life or even something uh, as simple as, you know, making a scrapbook for your family to look at. Um, just doing something that you've always wanted to do before you go. Um, facilitating important conversations before you go. Talking about what you want, um, this is something for uh, people who are terminally ill, like what do you want your experience to be like as you die? People don't realize that you can say, hey, I want this kind of music playing. I want to be smelling this. I want these people here. Um, I don't want this. You know, uh, to me, um, death is, it can be such a beautiful thing. We're all going to experience it. You know, we're all afraid of it. We're all, we're all going to go through it. So why not make that experience um, special, just like you would with any other big, important event in your life and death doulas help you help facilitate that for you. Is, is this something generally you're dealing with people that have a terminal prognosis or is this something people are just kind of almost like they do a will like they're just kind of getting ahead of the curve it's, it's mostly death doulas deal with terminal illness or the elderly um i fell in love with this kind of work um doing uh, i was working in hospice when i was going to mortuary school i volunteered um for hospice and i spent a lot of time with clients who had no families and um I really, I fell in love with the elderly and I fell in love with, with just being there for people in that time of their life. You know, um, nobody wants to die alone and that I don't want to die alone. I think it's probably my biggest fear in life is, is dying alone. And so to be with someone in that moment and make it easier for them, hold their hand, um, make things the way that they want them. That is one of my life's passions. I mean, what, what, what is it about you that, kind of in, in between just 
going to mortuary sciences and now working in this capacity? I mean, is this something you've always been interested in or had a capacity for? Because this, for a lot of people, this is a, this is something that is, this is the last thing they want to deal yeah. with, right? Like we're so disconnected from our mortality and a lot in our, in our culture. You know, I've always been fascinated by death since I was a child. Um, and I just always wanted to figure out why things, you know, very small age. I wanted to figure out why things die. Like if you had hamsters, why, why do they die? And I would kind of, you know, inspect them and like, well, what happened? You know, and wanted to diagnose everything. I wanted a reason why we had to go through this and, and what it was all about. And I would, you know, as a kid, I would read tons of medical journals and, and I was knew about everything about every disease. And I was always, you know, wanted to know more and just overly preoccupied with funerals and, um, again, wanting to know every aspect of it. So, um, and throughout life too, um, you know, I had a kind of a, uh, hard upbringing. Uh, I was abandoned by my dad for many years. And one of the ways that I dealt with that when I was young was by pretending that he just didn't exist anymore, that he had died. Mm -hmm. And so I found myself in life. In fact, in my book, I, I wrote about it. If, someone hurt me to the point of where I didn't want to think about them anymore in my head, I would just kind of kill them off. Well, that person is just dead to me. They, they don't exist. And for, for, as a child, that made it easier for me to deal with the extreme grief of being abandoned. So I think it started from that. And then, you know, um, losing people as I grew up and I just kind of took that with me and um, brought it to funeral service. And I'm definitely an empath. And I, I just, love helping people. And at first I thought I just wanted to be in the back embalming. I didn't want to deal with people. I didn't think I was very much a people person. And then I realized that my calling really was to help people, help the families and help them process what they were going through and the things they had to deal with when losing someone that they loved. I do believe it's one of the reasons that I'm put here is to be of service to people in that time of their life. And I think that if I can handle it when others can't, that that's what I should be doing. How do you kind of comport that with your, I guess the spiritual side of that? Because so many people, that's how they kind of relate mortality is, oh, uh, such and such is going to a better place or, yeah. uh, you know, and is that is that a, a way you approach it or are you only kind of? Well, well, the thing is I'm an atheist, but when I was in mortuary school, I learned about every single different religion in various theology classes. It's important to be open-minded when it comes to anyone's religion. I never tell someone how they should feel or that they shouldn't. I don't like the term, uh, you know, or that when people say, oh, they're going to a better place. I've never liked that because it's, I just don't think it, um, speaks to starting your healing process at all. It's like, no, they're not in a better place. It sucks that, you know, your 14 year old daughter died of cancer and she's not with you anymore. It sucks. Say it sucks, you know, uh, feel the, feel the pain, feel the grief. Um, but, um, there's some people that have very different beliefs than I do. And I'm still able to, um, to speak with them because I have a respect for everyone's religions and, you know, I believe that when you die, there's a transfer of energy somehow. We don't know nobody has all the answers of what happens when you die, but um, we can make what we do know easier on people. You know, like I said, just by being someone, holding someone's hand through the process. You know, when you die, when you're born and when you die is the only time that your body produces 
DMT yeah. and kind of sends you on a little, you know, trip. And so you, you know, a lot of times, you know, people who are dying, they'll see the light or they'll see people come in to take them. And who am I to tell you that that's not, you know, you going to a better place or, or, you know, whatever it is. Have you done DMT? Pardon? I haven't done it. I personally really would love to do it. The one opportunity that I've had to do it, we were in Europe on tour and they said, oh, we'll, we'll get you back in time. I'm like, yeah, this is all. It only lasts like 10 minutes. But apparently. still, I was a little scared to do it on tour. One I haven't day done I it. I haven't done it, so. One day I'd like to do it. I, I hear that it completely changes you forever and um, in a good way, you yeah. know. And so I, I would like to try it one day. Well, the kind of just uh, responding to what you said earlier about a better place. I'm, I'm an atheist as well. And I, and I, and I again, I, I hope not to, hopefully this doesn't offend anyone who listens, yeah. but I personally, I kind of don't think anyone really believes in heaven. And here's why, Except, unless you're a, a suicide bomber or someone like that, because I think if you truly thought heaven was this flawless, great place, then you w- actually wouldn't want to be alive. If it was that great, if you really believed it was this amazing, perfect place, I think no one would be trying not to die. You'd be like, I can't wait to die so I can go to heaven. Yeah. So, I th- so I think it's more, and that's, and, I'm, and I don't say, and I, tr- I really don't mean to say that in a judgmental way, because I think life is hard and life used to be way harder, right? Imagine you're like some slave having to build the pyramids right and your whole life was they're just swinging a hammer or pulling <laughs> these giant rocks until you died right uh you had to kind of create something to keep you going yeah. to think that that human beings need hope and we need coping mechanisms because life is just it's just really hard so that's why even though i can have that opinion i i, I really try not to judge people who think differently and whatever makes you happy gets you through your day I can't really get in the way of that's the thing and I think that I don't like anyone who is so one-sided that and they try to push it so much and I I have best friends that are very religious and in fact one of my girlfriends I always joke with her you know if you die first send me a sign if if this shit exists so I can start acting right you know what I mean we tease each other like that and we talk openly about why we feel this way and why she feels this way and we can have a conversation and not like want to rip each other's heads off or call each other stupid you know well, listen, uh, I'll have it for a l- little bit. So even though I think you and I could probably talk theology and, and these really kind of bigger, uh, higher minded ideas, which is fun. I, lo- I love this one when we go on, on little tangents like this and you're a very smart person. So it's really fun, fun to do that. Um, but I just wanted to ask you, a, you know, this is a very quick uh, <laughs> shift in the in the topic, but just kind of want to ask you a little bit about the evolution of, of Butcher Babies. Because the band, like I said, early on came out the gate really heavy, really metal, the screaming. And there was and there was singing, there were hooks and things, things like that. But as you probably understood, it's like you guys are really heavy and you're doing this thing, but then you're touring with Manson, or maybe you're out there with some of these more mainstream sounding acts. And I wonder, I mean, is and I've noticed the band even though the, the heaviness has never went away, I've definitely, especially with these two new singles you guys put out last year, that there's definitely this kind of shift to maybe 
having the band be a little bit more accessible from a, a Sonics standpoint? You know, it's, I mean, we, we love, we love it. If we're more accessible, more people can hear us. That's awesome. But also at the end of the day, it's just trying different things. All of us grew up listening to all different kinds of stuff. I love metal. I love thrash metal, grew up on all that stuff. But there's also a part of me that like as a kid, I loved pop. I loved Madonna. I love stuff like that. So why not explore um, different styles and do different things? I, you know, I, I hate when people are get so mad when their favorite metal band wants to just kind of go off the rails a little bit and do something a little bit different for a couple songs. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. We are always going to be a metal band. We love metal. Um, and we've got some really heavy stuff coming out as well, but, um, it's kind of nice to have a little departure and write something that you're proud of that is not metal. You know, it's a, it's like a little game almost. And, uh, again, there'll be plenty more metal for people and, there's nothing wrong too with finding some, you know, pulling some new people in with a little bit of a softer sound and then hitting them over the head with, with the real shit. Yeah. Well, listen, I've been doing this thing a long time and I've been in super heavy underground bands. And now I'm in a band that has kind of crossed over into this radio world. And once you kind of, you know, it's, it's like almost like Neo, right. He kind of wakes up is like, this is the real world <laughs> where now I've, been kind of educated to this whole different version of of the record industry in that you know just essentially if the the music is more accessible you just have that many more people that you that that are potential fans and of course there are very successful like heavy bands would be it lamb of god or gojira or bands like behemoth and those are the cream of the crop but like we were for example, we went out with Three Days Grace to Europe, uh, Bad Wolves, and we were basically doing the same rooms that Lamb of God would do, right? And Lamb of God's the biggest band of their genre, and Three Days Grace is probably, you know, one of 20 rock bands that are in, of that level, and it kind of opened our eyes, like, damn, you could be kind of a pretty big rock band and do just as well as, like, the biggest super super metal band so i think and this is me and i and sometimes i hate to kind of project onto the other you know if i'm talking to someone on the show in terms of their business their art but i think as we're trying to work on our careers we constantly just want to grow and if you start stagnating and all of a sudden you're like you got to start thinking hey if at this level i we can't afford to do the band or we or it have to be part-time so you have to say how do we reach new people exactly and there's nothing wrong with wanting to reach more people as long as you remain authentic to who you are at some level and you know we wouldn't be putting out songs that we didn't love i think that's like the thing we're not going to write in fact there was one song a few years back that we were supposed that we were putting on an album that actually came out and um it was one of the very few songs that we didn't write the majority of it. Uh, we were told that it was going to go to radio and it was going to be great. And I was really against it. I even cried in the studio when I said, I don't want, this is not us. I don't want to do this. Um, with these new songs, I don't feel like that. I enjoyed making them. I enjoyed singing them. I enjoyed playing them. And as long as the band enjoys it and likes what they're putting out, I think that's really important. I don't ever want to 
um, attempt to reach new fans and not like what I'm doing, that would make me really unhappy. And I don't want to be unhappy, but there is also something to be said for, you know, like you said, going out and getting those new fans, like otherwise you just kind of like, especially nowadays, you know, my boyfriend's been in a, a band that's celebrating their 40th anniversary this year. That's crazy to me to think that a band can go strong for 40 fucking years. Shout out to Charlie, tell Doc Cole, say what's up. <laughs> but it's different nowadays for, for our, for bands, you know, like, like our band. It's like, so how do we have a long standing career? You know, what do you do? What's the formula that's going to make that happen? How are we going to keep doing this 10 years from now? And again, like you said, making money, like the thing that people don't understand is like a lot of bands, you don't, you go out there and you, you don't make any money. Well, then you can't do it because at a certain point in your life, when you got a family waiting at home for you, going out there is just for your fucking ego. If you're not bringing home any money or, or anything, then why are you doing it? Why are you leaving your family for months at a time? So you have to be smart and you have to make certain moves, but you have to do it with authenticity. And that's so important. Well, I was talking with Brandon from Atreyu yesterday on his Twitch and he, he, he brought up a great point about the pandemic is that what it has done in a sense, it's allowed bands like you guys, cause you haven't had a record out since 2017 bands like battles who just, we just going through a singer split where in a way it's a chance for all of us to kind of reset mm -hmm. and kind of start fresh. And to me, you're one of those bands where I, I think, and you, it's, and this happens with a lot of bands, right? You, you come out and maybe you're part of a certain scene or a, or a certain kind of wave. And then after three, four five years, you know, you're now you're not like the cool, shiny new band. And then the scene changes, right? And then all of a sudden there's new bands and new things and you have to figure out how to maintain your relevance. And I think all the things you guys are doing right now are very smart because it is a new wave of bands. I mean, you guys started coming up in LA. There was a whole LA scene that's gone, you know? Uh, and, and, and during that time, the kind of active rock revolution or whatever you want to kind of call it in, in, in that world really has kind of taken off. And if you're not, in those avenues, then it, it is a lot harder to get seen unless you're going full extreme, like, uh, you know, Spirit Box or Ginger or something where they're going like super technical. And so you kind of, in, in many ways, sometimes you have to function in the extremes. But I think, not just you guys, just for any band, it's all about the songs. Yeah. Do you have the songs? Do you have something that connects to people? And that kind of leads me into... My last question about this, lyrically, um, so much I think what, what has to do with the success of songs is connecting to people. Like you said, you're an empath. So is what are you guys trying to do as writers and to connect with your audience in, in, in like lyrics and, and, and songs or like the messaging? Well, I think ever since we started this band, we've been very open about our, we write from the heart. We write about what we know. We write about our own heartbreaks and, and just things that we've been through um, as, as human beings. And man, like that's, and two, it's kind of why we changed our attitudes towards this. When we started touring and we saw these people, you know, grown men and young girls 
fucking crying, tears coming down their face, singing our lyrics back in their faces. We knew that we had the potential to really make a difference in people's lives. And it, it, we definitely, the writing became even more important. And we definitely choose to write about things that mean something to us. We don't write like, you know, trite songs about things that are meaningless. Uh, we definitely um, dig in. And it's great because over the years, you know, even though Heidi and I have completely different experiences growing up um, and we're completely different people, when we write, we're able to finish each other's sentences now. And it's it's amazing. Well, listen, I'm, I'm excited for, your, for you guys. I mean, um, just to kind of wrap this up, is there any anything we should be looking forward to as far as albums touring i know everyone's touring is kind of up in the air right now or yeah, touring, you know, touring soon hopefully in the fall we'll yeah. see um but in the meantime we've we're releasing like a song almost every month so keep your eyes peeled for all that stuff we have a a new video coming out this coming monday i'm not sure when you're going to put this up but um we have a new video for sleeping with the enemy one of our new ones coming out it should be out by the time this comes out that video should be out so okay cool and then we have um my personal favorite, one of our new songs is coming out next month. So just something every month for everybody. And I'm just really excited to be releasing music again. It's been a long time. And especially during a pandemic, I, I, I don't know if I'm alone in feeling this, but as a musician, not being able to, because, you know, we took a year off um, to kind of regroup and then the pandemic hit. So it's like a year on the top of the year. Yeah, it's been a long time since we've um, gotten to go out and do what we do. And sometimes when I'm at home, you know, now doing laundry or whatever it is, you know, being, um, you know, <laughs> just being at home, I feel like, who, who am I anymore? Like when you're not doing that thing that you usually do, you feel a little lost at sometimes. So it's, it's really nice to be, you know, putting out music again and getting back to it. Yeah. Well, listen, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited for what's to come. And I think, the reset that's going to happen with a lot of bands, I think, is going to happen with you guys in a in a in a new way. As Jamie Josta told me about twenty years ago, he says the scene refreshes like every three years. So there's so there's constantly new young people discovering heavy music, discovering new bands, and you guys kind of your whole image and aura is so unique to what you guys do. I think you're always going to get a lot of eyeballs and, but you know, a lot of that, I mean, are you guys just, I don't, in this, I don't know if this is public or not, like what's your label situation? Do you guys, are you still at Central Media? Are you on a new label? No, um, we wanted to try something different. So we're actually doing this next album as an independent release right now. All the songs we're putting out, we're putting out just for distribution right now um, with Blood Blast. And it's really exciting because, you know, we've always been very hands-on in our career. We've all, we all, have been just, you know, hit the ground running type of people and done everything. So it's not that much of a change. And uh, it's, ex you know, it's exciting to see what, what's out there. It's a new frontier. It really is. It's not the same as it was years ago when you had to have a label and records cost, you know, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars to make. It's completely different. You can do it on your own if you have a good team behind you, you know, good management, a good lawyer and um, some distribution. You can do it. And, uh, we're trying it out. And if a great deal with a label comes by, we're not, you know, not, not going to be open to taking something, but it's kind of fun to try this on our own too and call the shots on our own. Well, I think in the, in the modern industry, 
essentially the more independent you can be the better off you are because you'll have a new song out there you'll see now you're getting all the money from those streams you don't yeah. there's no and you'll see oh wow there's actually you know it's not millions of dollars but there's a real like boom you put something out and you get immediate response and having that ownership and that will actually make more parts of the industry pay attention when they see you're making yeah. noise without any help. So no. I think, I think it's a, it's a show of strength and yeah. Anyway, I'm happy for you guys. I'm excited to see what's going to happen. Hopefully we'll do some shows. We'll hang out this, this pandemic nightmare will be over and it'll be awesome. So yeah. more, more bus dance parties. <laughs> I can't wait. Listen, you guys are like the, uh, the Jaeger, uh, like devil on your shoulder. It's it's a dangerous place to be on butcher. We're the Jaeger fairies. Yeah, you don't want to come on our bus unless you uh, like Jaeger. <laughs> yes. So I'm, I'm I will train my um uh you know my my situation so that I can I can deal with with this craziness. So and I'm looking forward to those Jaeger shots, but only with you guys. If it's not <laughs> with butcher babies, I don't want Jaeger. <laughs> <laughs> well, All thank right. you so much for having me. Anytime. Thank you so much. Have a great day. All right, bye. Bye-bye. I'm so sick of our chemistry And how you make me bleed I'm dry, I'm drowning I'm finding I can lie my way through anything And I can cry without fear I'm nervous and numb, I feel good and dumb But I can't really say that I don't crave it that way I don't know what I do it for I can't have you go without letting you know
So that was Butcher Babies, one of their new singles, Sleeping with the Enemy. Hope you enjoyed that one and, and enjoyed my conversation with Carla. And that was, for me, like I said, one of my shorter conversations. But, you know, I think it was just perfect. We, we I call that a high efficiency. We got to a lot of very cool stuff in a condensed amount of time. But it was a lot of fun for me. And I, I just really appreciate Carla, you know, giving me her time and, and uh, you know, opening up to the show. I think I thought that was awesome. It was really great to have her on and I think that song is really cool. They just dropped another song like today, I think called Yorktown. They just dropped a video, so check that out and be on the lookout for their forthcoming new album. I know everyone's schedules are you know, a little murky <laughs> pending the end of the 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 pandemic and it's funny. Actually, I got vaccinated, you know. I, I should have brought that up and well, I did bring it up. I brought it up, I got vaccinated, but I only got my first shot of the Pfizer vaccine. So I got the next one in a couple weeks and then I guess it takes about two weeks after for it to happen, for it to start to be effective. But I'm, I feel happy about it. I didn't die. <laughs> you guys know my feeling on the vaccine. Just get the fucking vaccine or right? shut the fuck up. You know, maybe you're going to have a little flu symptoms for a day or so, but toughen up, get the vaccine, help your community, don't be a punk. And, and if you die, you know, then then I don't tell you, then you fucked up. All right. Toughen up. Don't let it happen. <laughs> all right. What's going on? I have, I got an email from a listener, Mr. Mike Patterson. He goes, what's up, doc? Very funny. Listen to your podcast you do with Ryan Martini. That's badass. You got him on. Surprised you didn't bring up reunion rumors to see if they were true or not, unless you guys had an agreement that you don't talk about it before you committed to doing the podcast. I know all those rumors. Circling definitely had me thinking about it. What are your thoughts? Do you think it will happen? So, yeah, that was something that was not on the table to talk about. And I really can't talk about it because it's not... I'm not in a position to really talk about it. And I respect Ryan so much. And and yeah, and I try and do that. For, I offer that for all, all, all my guests. It's like, if they don't want to talk about this thing over here, then we don't talk about that. And that's why I said I, I'm not a fucking journalist. I'm here to have conversations with my buddies or people that I'm just fans of. So there's no clickbait here, unfortunately. But I hope it happens. I'm on team. I hope it happens. You know, in the in the future when shows do happen, we're going to need some nice headliners to hold it down on these festivals. He also said, I've sent you a message on Facebook and haven't heard back. Do you have something against me? <laughs> no, Mike, I don't have anything against you. Facebook, though, it so, gets so backed up. I It, it becomes almost... It, it, be, it becomes a problem to try and... You know, I, I have to spend a whole afternoon or evening actually kind of going through through all of them. So it gets a little difficult. So my apologies, but probably the best place to get in touch with me is Instagram. I don't know why that seems easier to get back to people on. I guess it's a little less casual, if that makes sense. And Facebook might be people I know or sometimes people, hey, what's up? I'm like, what's up? What? Come, come at me with some business. All right. Have a question. What's up? Motherfucker. You see what I'm doing. I'm out here grinding. <laughs> All right. But anyway, I do apologize. 
He also said, I don't have anything against you. Of course not. He goes, do, 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 do. Also, sorry about Tommy, what happened, but seeing how he's on social media, I saw it coming for a long time and just kept quiet and let him do his thing. You can't be doing that this day and age, and it's cool to do and think you're going to get away with it. That's not how it works. Just sucks happens to you guys. Hope you guys still talk regardless. Hope you guys get a singer soon, and it's someone as good as you know. Tommy has some tough shoes to fill. You're correct. It is. It's a tough job. It's a tough job. It's 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 not easy, and that's another thing I'm not really going to comment on right now. Just yes, tall order, a lot of pressure. Got to get that new singer. God damn it. God damn it. I ain't going to be the singer. <laughs> Hope is all well within the wolf pack during these crazy times of the pandemic that I hope will get away from us by no later than the end of spring. Speaking of the pandemic, with the vaccines going out, how long do you see it taking before things get back to normal and shows start happening? So I've been on the record. Thank you, by the way, for the, for the message, Mike. I've been on the record of saying I thought the summer shows would happen. But then you know what happened? The vaccine stumbled out of the gate. So originally, it was it was under the impression everyone who wanted vaccine would be vaccinated by April. That now has moved back, back to July. So that makes this summer a lot more unsure. So as optimistic as I was, now I'm a little worried. So... And that's a fucking bummer. I'm very bummed out about that because I wanted to be on tour this summer. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see. No one has any answers as far as I've heard. I just don't understand why you can have a Super Bowl with 20-something thousand people there. You can have presidential rallies <laughs> in arenas. You can have political rallies, like people marching on the streets, 100,000 people. And all kinds of different events. I mean, they're having people in... Basketball arenas, I know it's reduced to maybe at 10% capacity or something like that. And some of that's bumping up. But I don't really understand why you can't have an outdoor festival at reduced capacity. Why you can't do a show at an amphitheater with reduced capacity. I don't really get that. I feel like you could do that relatively safely. But I think there are liability concerns where if someone gets sick there that they possibly would sue the production company the promoter, the band, what have you. So we'll see. I am, I don't know. I, I'm less optimistic than I was. So we'll we'll see what happens. And uh, that is what it is. All right, guys. Like I said, I'm, I, I got a case of the Mondays. I'm not doing so great today. And that's all right, though. We got to give ourselves permission to have an off day because tomorrow it's going to be better. And that's all you got to remember. Anytime you're you're feeling down, you're, in the dumps, you're just blah. That's what I'm having. I'm having a blah day. I don't even, sometimes I'm sitting there like, I suck. It's not that. I just don't feel like doing shit. <laughs> just want just to watch Avengers. All right. It's, it's, it's pitiful. All right. Okay. I love you guys. I really appreciate all the support. And hopefully next week I'll come back with more. A little more pep in my step. You know what I'm talking about? A little more pep. All right, Mamba's out.
Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers, all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at soundtalentmedia.com.